This podcast is for the purposes of providing information only and is not providing legal advice. Although we may have attorneys speaking during this podcast, no attorney-client relationship exists. As always, we recommend you consult with an attorney about your specific issue. Hey, everybody. I'm Cynthia Lopez, attorney here in El Paso, Texas. I'm joined by my co-host, Richie Marufo. Hi, Richie. Hi, how's it going? What's going on, Richie? How are you feeling? Well, I'm a little under the weather, but other than that, we have uh, some awesome guests lined up, so I'm excited for that. Yeah, you sound a little congested, buddy. Um, so we have, to, for today's podcast, we have two community leaders from the El Paso del Norte community to discuss the truth about immigration in the El Paso del Norte community, which is um, kind of what they call the El Paso area. So I have two really awesome guests. Our first guest is Juan Acereto Cervera. He is the Director of Binational Affairs Office for Juarez. We also have with us um, the awesome Father Pitts, who is always willing to come and talk to us. Father Pitts is the Director of Religious Formation and one of the Associate Pastors at Sacred Heart Church. He also works with the Jesuit Mission in Chiapas. Father Pitts has a Master of Divinity from the Jesuit School of Theology of Santa Clara University in Berkeley, California, and a Master's of Theology and Social Ethics from the Jesuit School of Theology. And he also has a Master of Science in International and Development Economics at the University of San Francisco. Father Pitts, did I get that right? That was a mouthful. Yes, <laughs> yes. Well, thank you both for being here so much. It's truly going to be um, a border type of episode because I think we're going to be a little English-Spanglish. Um, uh, Senora Cereto, uh, I think your preference is Spanish, but you do speak English very well. So I think we'll be going back and forth between no the two languages. Okay, I'm going to try to do my best. Yes, and thank you both for being here. Richie, what's going on with how have you been a little bit before we start digging mm. into the nitty-gritty? Just uh, diving into our our art scene, just hosting many, many open mics, a bunch of new venues. Mona. Yeah. That's cool. Bar of Modern Art. Yeah. Very, very lovely in there, right next to Legendary Tap. Yeah, a new place in El Paso. You guys got to check it out. This episode of Dream Podcast, Truth About Immigration, is brought to you by Hippie Girl Natural Products. Our products are handmade, environmentally friendly, and we cultivate the herbs and flowers used in our garden. If you'd like to try a product at 50% off, go to hippiegirlnaturalproducts.com and use coupon code DREAM. So while we have our guests, um, can we? I, I want to start with you, Mr. Acereto. If you can tell us a little bit about what it is you do. As I said, you are the director of the Binational Affairs Office. Can you explain to us a little bit about what that is? Yes, um, I was hired by the government of, of Ciudad Juarez since uh, this uh, problem on the border starts, you know, to see more people coming from, from the south. And we find out that they to use my expertise in the consulate as, as I've been working before here in El Paso and to use the diplomacy of cities. So diplomacy of cities is very important because today a city like Juarez and El Paso and Las Cruces as a region, we must to, to, to try to find a way to be more in touch with the representatives, the congresses, and everybody that's involved in politics and the authorities that this region can provide better uh, opportunities for our own people. That's why uh, they hire me and I'm take care, taking care of this binational affairs office. Very cool. I mean, that's like the epitome of a border city. 
Father Pitts, can you also explain for people who are listening uh, what it is that you do at Sacred Heart Church? Sacred Heart Church is the oldest Catholic church in El Paso. Uh, we're 126 years old. And so I like the fact that we're four blocks from the Santa Fe border crossing. And we're also visible on the Mexican side of the border crossing as well. And so we attend to the people in the immediate neighborhood of the Segundo Barrio, but we serve people all over El Paso. And we serve a number of people in Juarez as well, um, both with religious as well as educational and social programs. And I wanted to know from the two of you being such community leaders here on the border, what is your experience like for the both of you uh, just kind of living here on the border and having these two countries that are so intertwined. I think people that don't live on the border really don't understand uh, how much the two countries are like intertwined. So I kind of wanted to get your experience living on the border. Senora Cereto, if you want to Yes, I am. You know, I used to live in, in Sinaloa and Yucatan before to, to come here. But I find out that uh, really El Paso and Ciro Juarez, they are, they are together forever and we share a lot of things like uh, family values and many things uh, that uh, many families of El, El Paso are related with families in Juarez and the communication in between the borders through five bridges and every day we have people from the schools coming from Mexico to attend the schools here in El Paso and many others lives here in El Paso and every day go down there, you know, to, to work in the maquilas as uh, uh, the, the most, um, many of them, uh, they see like El Paso is the, the richest, uh, um, como se llama, comunidad de Ciudad Juarez. It's something like, you know, if you like to have a nice, beautiful home, you can get a nice piece of land here in, 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 in Juarez and every, everybody is very related you know? and that's very excited to, to, I used to live also in Houston and you never feel like you do here in El Paso because here you have the opportunity at all the all the fortalezas the strength that we as a Mexican have and with the, all the Americans uh, what they provide as a community that's very important we have everything together here in this region. That's why I love to, to live here. And what is your, you personally, do you, so you work in Juarez, do you cross every day? Is it something you, like how often do you cross? Uh, you, I cross three times a, a day sometimes, wow. you know. The best for live here is to have a sentry or a visa. If not, it's, it's, it's tough, you know, because many people in Juarez, for example, I think 80% of the people in Juarez don't have a visa. Yeah, Imagine the century it's, pass it's tough. is the, like the fast pass to cross on the bridges, right? Yes, yeah. it's, it's incredible. It takes maybe three or four minutes to, to come here. And Father Pitts, what about you? I mean, a lot of people don't realize that you're basically in the heart of Segundo Barrio, which people don't know is probably one of the poorest neighborhoods in the country. Um, and you guys do such amazing work down there. What is your experience like living on the border? You know, I, I've given a presentation several times in other parts of the U.S. about life on the border. And I always start by saying, for those of us on the border, the border is a source of life, not of death. And I mean, I just had a friend in town from New York and we did three days in three cultures. On Monday, he went with me to a food bank that we serve in Juarez with some volunteers. And then on 
Tuesday, we went to Las Cruces to New Mexico. And he said, where's New Mexico? I said, oh, it's just on the west side of El Paso. And then on Wednesday, we hung around El Paso. And to me, it's such a rich place. I mean, it, you know, you always see the contrast in Muy Fuerte, right? I mean, the stark, and especially I get goosebumps driving along the border highway because I've been on the border highway on the U.S. side and you can see Juarez. And then to be over there in the colonia where we serve in Juarez and to be able to see the Wells Fargo building. I mean, it's like a symbol of another world um, on the U.S. side. But I love the richness. You know, I don't cross. I've crossed, I think a couple of times I've crossed twice in a day. But I more the more regular schedules, I'll cross a couple of times a week. But it is, I mean, like my colleague just said, it's like you have the best of all worlds here. And people have such interesting lives and stories, too. I mean... I'm all, I've been really privileged over the past 18 months that I always tell our, I mean, most of our parishioners have roots in Juarez. So I say, well, take me to your family's home or take me to your parish or more likely take me to your favorite place to eat in Juarez. And so I've really enjoyed letting the people here teach me about the best places on both sides of the border. And what is your parish made up? Do you have people from both sides of the border? Yeah, we do. So one of the things about Sacred Heart is that we have six priests so we're very available. Um, so the people, and in fact, this, there was a period in the early 20th century where Catholicism was illegal in Mexico, the Cristedo period. And so we added on to our church. So we have a number of parishioners um, who are coming from Juarez. And even now, even if our parishioners live in El Paso, many of them cross, I mean, to go grocery shopping or to visit family. Um, and it's the... And then, too, um, there's a group within our parish, Las Alas, and they have two, pro they collect donations on the U.S. side, but they cross several times a week. They they serve a couple of different colonias in Juarez. So we're very, our community is very integrated with both sides of the border. Wow, that's really interesting. I, I didn't know that about people having to come over here um, for Catholicism, to, to practice Catholicism. Mm. Yeah, Richie yeah. can't, Richie can't oh, yeah. hear you, so I have to like give him the key when... <laughs> I can't wait to listen to the episode, though. <laughs> hear those top we were limited with two headsets, so uh, yeah. Richie can't hear you. But yeah, when he hears it, he's going to be, uh, he's going to like that. Do you have any questions over there, Richie? No? Uh, no, no. Um, one of the things I did want to ask you guys about was uh, for both of you as well. I think there's been, especially in recent times with the news and El Paso and everything that's been going on with immigration, a lot of misconceptions. And we always say that that was one of the reasons that we started this podcast was because we wanted to correct a lot of the misconceptions about immigration. So I was interested in getting the two of you guys' your takes on some of the misconceptions about immigration and some of the misconceptions about El Paso. Uh, I think, I, sorry. One of the misconceptions is that there's no security on the border. Mm -hmm. yes. and, and, and I think, I mean, for me, the biggest problem our parishioners have is not that there's no security. It's you can never predict how long you're going to wait. But I have, most of the people I've talked to in El Paso and Juarez, are, we're quite satisfied with the amount of security. And I mean, people don't realize that there's a process in Juarez to get a U.S. visa and I mean, all the lines and all the bridges and all of the screening and all of that. And there also, there's this misconception. There is, there's a quite extensive physical barrier here. And there's a quite extensive border patrol presence here. And there are not these people, maybe on other parts of the U.S.-Mexico border. I'm not the expert. 
but there's not this sort of like uncontrolled chaos of people coming um, that's sometimes portrayed on the media. It's quite orderly and quite secure. And I think, too, that 99% of the crossings are people who live in El Paso going to Juarez and vice versa. That most of the traffic is local and a very, very small number are refugees or asylum seekers from other parts of Mexico or Latin America. Yeah, that's very important. They do, I think, in the media like to portray, well, I think it's kind of feeding into the fear of immigration, portray chaos on the border. So I think it's really interesting that you say that. Yes, uh, what we did uh, at the beginning of this situation in 2018 is to try to make it better than the other borders. That's why we create this uh, organization called Iniciativa Juarez. And uh, all the shelters, all the people that's involved, you know, taking care of the migrants since many years ago, also organizations, the maquilas, and everybody, because everybody was very... Um, uh, afraid to lose their business on this situation that CBP was uh, doing in, in their breaches. You know, 30% of uh, the communication was closed and uh, we have lines of 20 kilometers in April in 2019, for example. To just cross just, just to cross the products. Yeah. You can imagine that this border crossed every year from Mexico to United States, 1 million trucks full of merchandise with more than 48 to $60 billion a year. Is that and just here or is that all borders? Uh, no, just here. Just in El Paso. In El Paso wow. you know? This is information from El Paso. One, one month in, in April 2019, we lost $170 million just wow. in fees that we must to pay because uh, we didn't uh, reach our markets as uh, fast that we must to do it. To, That's yeah. why we talk with CBP and they are agreed to, to make it better for us. And that's why we also make a, as a petition to the president of Mexico to make the shelter where is right now Leona Vicario. And also the government of City Juarez provides a, a money for the shelter that is a, a Como se llama la casa del migrante. Mm -hmm. We help them, you know, to to make it better to pay the rent, not the rent, the you know, the air conditioner, everything what they need. We try try to provide to those people. But today, we we know that happened when this MPP protocol protection starts in with this, with Mr. Trump, um, menaced to you know try, uh, when él nos amenazó, mm -hmm. tried as a try to to close the border or to rise our duties. And he put a gun in our heads. You know, if you do this, okay, we're going to keep the, the business going. If not, we're going to close everything. That was, was tough. That's why the decision to receive all the migrants from other countries in Mexico was done by the government because we don't want to lose that opportunity of business with the United States. And uh, last year, we received 30,000 MPP protocol protection uh, people coming back to, to, to our city. Plus another 30,000 Mexicans that was rejected from United States back to Juarez because we lost the, the plane that we used to have from uh, El Paso to Mexico City. Do you remember the program PRIM? that we receive all the people that was uh, out of jails and, and, 
Uh, yes, and we, we sent it directly from El Paso to, to, to Mexico, to Mexico City. Today, they dump that, that, that people here in the borderland. And we have 60,000 people last year only in Mexicans and Central Americans and more than 10 countries in our side. Yes, so the program for people who don't know, uh, the program that Senora Cereto is talking about is uh, the MPP program. It's this, uh, it stands for Migrant uh, Protection Protocol. And essentially what was happening is that if you came into the country seeking asylum, there was one of two programs that they would do. And we'll probably get into this a little bit more in another episode because uh, it's a huge change that's been implemented in the process for seeking asylum. And what they do was they would do either one of two things. They would send people back to Mexico to wait for their hearing dates, or they would give them a number. Um, it was called metering. So they would give a number and say, we're going to call your number on this date. And if you're not here you're essentially going to get a removal order. You're going to miss your chance to even ask for asylum. And what happened was everything that we were dealing with here in El Paso with all the asylum seekers essentially got pushed into Mexico because uh, we used our our weight and our power to essentially force Mexico into accepting um, these refugees and keeping them there. So they will actually, CBP will pick them up. I don't know if it's CBP or ICE, probably both work together, pick them up from the bridge, we'll take them to their hearings and then we'll take them back. And so they, it kind of messes with the legalities of if they're in the country at all, if they're in uh, custody, things like that. But the reason that Mexico is accepting them back is because we kind of threw our weight around, as you said, put a gun to your head and basically said, you guys are going to accept them back. And so it's, created a big problem with asylum seekers. So we'll probably get into that a little bit more, maybe in one of the other episodes. But the the economic aspects of it as well are really interesting that you're talking about with having the borders and how much is coming through. And it's such a fine balance between security and the economic implications of of dealing with a border. And we will get into the economics as well in the next episode. Um, so stay tuned. But I guess my last question really for, for the two of you, and I guess Father Pitts, if you want to go first, uh, one of the other misconceptions I think has been out there is that there's been a really big influx of, of immigrants over the last few years. Um, and I think one of the biggest fears that people like to feed on is that you know, we have limited resources or they're taking our resources. Um, how do you feel? Because I really feel like El Paso is the front lines when it comes to all of these kinds of issues. Do you think that there's any truth in that? Do you have any concerns about that, having seen that firsthand, um, basically on one of the first churches when you cross the border? Yeah, I mean, I think it's helpful to get some historical context. You know, I'm reading a book right now called Midnight in Mexico by the El Paso-based journalist Alfredo Corchado. It tells, I mean, it tells the story of the U.S.-Mexico relationship over the past 50 years. And it, so he talks about the Bracedo program um, because the, the bottom line is that U.S. agriculture depends on Mexican labor. And it's in both countries' Very interests true, yes. to provide, yeah, to provide a legal way. And so in the past, the U.S. government gave tons of visas to agricultural workers who crossed to help with the harvest in the U.S. and then crossed back to Mexico. Not all migrants want to come here for the long term. Um, I think another 
thing, you know, more recently, the Attorney General of Texas has said that there's no room in Texas for more refugees. And from what we saw last year, El Paso has a huge capacity. We were serving a thousand asylum seekers a day. And I think Annunciation House had 12 shelters. But what I found so moving was that the food always appeared. A lot of it was, was donated from around the U.S. The volunteers appeared. I mean, you know, the, the Catholic Church has gotten a lot of bad press recently, and a lot of it's deserved. I mean, as we look at our own dark corners, but watching the the religious shelters um, serve the migrants sort of renewed my own faith in the church. And especially watching my Mexican parishioners sympathize with the stories of the Central Americans. I still remember when we took some confirmation students and one of the teachers to one of the shelters. And this lady has been in the U.S. for 20 years and she came from Durango. And she said, this reminds me of my first days in the U.S. when I was confused. I was scared. I didn't know English. I didn't know anything. But to see people over and over make those personal connections. Um, it's so interesting to me that people with no knowledge of our reality are the ones that are saying that there's not space where we can't serve these people. And the people on the ground are the ones who are opening their homes, who are volunteering in shelters, who are bringing food, um, who are really in serving in a very generous way. I mean, that I, I never cease to find it um, you know, moving. I think another thing, too, is that we don't, I think now with the NAFTA was just renegotiated. Um, we're realizing 20 years later, I mean, one of the promises of NAFTA was that it would create jobs in Mexico and that people wouldn't have to migrate. But NAFTA has not hurt. Um, NAFTA has not helped the Mexican economy. Many of the people who are migrating are victims of NAFTA or smallholder farmers who can't make a living or, you know, people who where there are no jobs. Or, I mean, a lot of people in Central America are migrating because of the continuing effects of U.S. foreign policy that started in the 80s. So I think it's it's really naive, you know, for to to treat these people like they're just sort of knocking on our door and we have nothing to do with their economic situations. I mean, I wish that Americans would understand a little bit more the complex history of U.S. involvement in Latin America and realize that since we've played a part in their problems, we need to play a part in the solution. Um, and that a lot of these asylum laws come from either World War II or the Vietnam War, that the U.S. has this history of taking refugees and that there are these international treaties that we're part of. And that so we have to honor our international obligations and give people a process by which they can ask for asylum. You know, someone once someone told me recently, you know, well, the U.S. is a country of law and order. That's why we can't take any more. I said precisely because we're a country of law and order, we have processes and we have to honor our own processes, and our own commitments. You know, the, you know, we, it would be unethical for us to turn our back on all of these migrants knocking on our door. The my idea of uh, this situation is that uh, these last two years we 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 saw a different migration. Different because today is a 60% women and kids, uh, kids, uh, and, and also many kids without parents, you know. And uh, many years ago, we used to be men's in uh, age between 20 to 35, you know, trying to make a job here and send money back to, to Mexico. And uh, I'm agreed that um, the, the government of the United States uh, needs uh, a lot of uh, Mexicans and other other countries' people to help on the on the um, agriculture areas, but many of these ones 
uh, that they are coming, they don't want to work on, on, on those issues. They like to go to Chicago with, uh, with their families and New York and other cities where they have families. Honduras, you remember the Mitch, the hurricane, destroys Honduras. In that time, the government of the United States provides a lot of visas, humanitarian visas to those people to live in the United States. And they find the way that the United States is a great country, as, as, as we know that it's a great country. That's why everybody wants to come here. And these people uh, that live in the United States because this program of the Mitch programs, they call their parents to, or their families to Honduras, and they say, don't you worry, it's easy to come and easy to go from here to any, any, any place in the United States. But when uh, Mexicans closed the border with Central America six, four months ago, we received a lot of Mexicans, 3,000 Mexicans was, was in our breaches because the mafias, the mafias, they find a way to, to make a lot of money easy leaving them on the border because they say that the asylum is easy to, to get it. And it's not easy. 99% of that people is rejected because to prove that uh, uh, miedo creíble mm-hmm. or persecución creíble is tough to, 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 to prove it. And, and what happened right now, for example, the, the Cubans, we have more than five to 6,000 Cubans living in Juarez right now. Huge uh, they don't Cubans want to be here in the next hearing because they're going to send them back directly from El Paso to Cuba. Cuba. Mm-hmm. And they pay a lot of money to get out from there. They prefer to live in a beautiful Juarez or any place in Mexico than to, to go back to, to Cuba. And that's the, that's the true of the story. And this MPP pro- protocol protection allows to the any people who seek for asylum in the United States and go back in the MPP program to have a job in Mexico because in Juarez, we need people to work in the maquilas. We need more than 16,000 16, people. We have places for them. And many many of them, if they like to, to live in Mexico, they they can do it through this opportunity that the government has right now since the Iniciativa Juarez that we, we've been talking with the president about the situation and the people that they send it to us. They, they, give, us to them, they give to them the IRS to come work in Mexico and also to have the security, social security number, whatever they need. And they can ask for asylum in Mexico and maybe they can integrate it in our community. Our community in, in Juarez is made by immigrants from all over, all over the world. You can find 40 different uh, countries, uh, people living in Juarez, 40 mm-hmm. from all over. And with this situation with China, for sure, the maquilas is going to be growing yes. more than 5% next year. We're going to need a lot of jobs. We're going to need a lot of people, workforce, to, to work in, in there. And also here in, in El Paso, it's going to happen the same. You're going to need a lot of people. For example, today, if the government opens a, a truck driver program to hire Mexicans to, to, you know, to come here, they're going to have thousands of people to want to, to be working in that issue and if you can see in the freeway, every truck has, we are hiring people because we have a, a lack in those issues. And also in the agriculture system. No? It's, 
Mexicans are not coming as used to be. We're getting more Mexican back. For example, last year was 100,000 Mexicans go back to Mexico and only 90,000 comes to the United States. That means that our people is not coming here anymore like used to be. From the uh, million people that comes in 2019, no more than 90,000 was Mexicans. That's, that's the real truth. Wow. Yeah, and I think we've talked about this before, Richie, with the asylum numbers. I mean, here in El Paso, our judges have less than a 5% approval rating on asylum cases. So, yes, times are changing. Um, Father Pitts, can you repeat the name of that book? And I know it's an El Paso author, so I wanted to, to just put that name out there again. Uh, yeah, sure. I'm looking at the copy in front of me. It's Midnight in Mexico um, by Alfredo Corchado. They had, I went to an event um, that the Literary Bookshop sponsored, and he was the Mexico City correspondent for the Dallas Morning News. And so he writes about um, the origins of the, the, drug, the drug trade in northern Mexico and also just gives a lot of the history and background, as well as his own personal story, because he was born in Durango and lived in El Paso and then as a pocho went back and worked in Mexico. Um, so it's really helpful for a lot of the background on how things got to be where they are today. I'm going to check it out. And Richie, I'm going to put you on the spot. Book recommendation, podcast recommendation, <laughs> band, on anything? Just on anything? Anything, that just any on recommendation spot. on well, the spot. <laughs> there's uh, one of my favorite poets, uh, Kyle Tran Mir. He goes by the, the name Guante. He has a really great album of spoken word stuff, but he has a podcast um, that he just started that's all about you know examining masculinity. Um, I can't remember what it's called right now. No? I can't remember off the top of my head. But. Is it under his, his yeah. name? Yeah, you could just um, look it up under his uh, his page, which is just Guante. Guante cool. Rights or something like that. Cool. And of course, you can always find us at dreampodcast.net. You can email us at dreampodcast01 at gmail. I want to thank our guests so much for being here. You two are so informative and so knowledgeable um, about all the goings on here yeah, in the yeah. borderland. So I appreciate your time. Thank you so much for being here and stay tuned to the next episode where we will be talking about economics of thank immigration. You. Thanks, Richie. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.